You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Um, Dan? Joe? This is kind of a wild week. Um, I, I'm a little freaked out about our guest because our guest is... Basically, I would I I've dubbed I don't know if this if you like this, but I'm calling him the Ron Howard of musical theater. Wow. <laughs> Do you like that? I don't know. It's new. We could cut How it. could you not like that? Michael Arden is here. Hey, what a what a way to be introduced, my God. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I'm a big fan of Ron Howard. So this yeah. is crazy. Well, I, I think that our our first question. Um, which is again, not, a, it's not a good question, but we want that Dan and I were talking this morning. How do we become you? How do you do it? What's the secret? <laughs> What's the secret sauce? I mean, actor, writer, director, musician, lyricist, I mean, like TV, mo- film, theater, musical theater, all of the, you've done every, all of these things. So how do I mean, we I wouldn't do say it's necessarily fun. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I hate it. Yeah, no, I don't hate it at all. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I well, I'm very flattered, but I, I don't think anyone would actually want to be me. Cause you know, like with, with everybody, it's like, we see that we see the, the bit you see. And then the rest is like, you know, mm. you never really know what's going on in people's like lives. And, you know, most days I'm, you know, want to want to be so i want to be somebody else so i think you know that that like fallacy is like i want to make sure people listening know that like not like living in some you know amazing (laughs) world where everything's perfect but uh i am very lucky to have worked in like lots of different fields in entertainment and um and I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how it really happened. I just, I think it's with everything in this business, it's like hugely to do with being in the right place at the right time and luck and somebody uh, taking a risk and a chance on me. Um, but also yeah. just um, at a certain point, like, you know, a lot of people don't like to necessarily give opportunities. They like to sort of feel like they, have discovered something already in process. So uh, I think just like, yeah. so many times I've just like raised money on Kickstarter and like done it myself. Cause I'm like, well, nobody will like take a meet. When I was first trying to be a director, I was like, nobody's going to, nobody would even consider me as a director or think about it or, or even, you know, entertain the idea. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to assist some directors on my own and then I'm going to 
raise money on Kickstarter and direct my own plays and the right people came to see them and they're like, you're really good. And then it was just like, Oh, I've always been a director. Of course he's a director as opposed, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Sometimes you just gotta like, you just gotta bake the cake before somebody says they want cake. Oh, that's great. That's really great. Write it down. This is off to a great start. (laughs) I am thrilled. I'm already mixing my metaphors. So it's good. So an actor is saying his lines, and then out of nowhere, he just starts singing. Five, six, seven, eight. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's inspiring to hear that from somebody who we only see your arrival we don't see all of the things you had to do to get to where you are, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, nobody sees like what a, what a nightmare, like, you know, backstage looks, you don't see, you know, you see, you right. see what, right. You know, optics are everything. And, uh, I feel that, uh, it's important to know that like, like you said, the arrival is based upon an incredibly nonlinear journey. You totally. know, it's like, a there's that great anim that great animation of like what people think that like somebody's path is, which is a straight line to somewhere, but it's actually this like insane squiggle that, that almost never goes directly toward the, you know, the destination. The, the Christmas Carol is just remarkable. This, this movie, um, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, this, this version of it is certainly was just for this Christmas and just to help regional and community theaters around the U S uh, have some income when they can't invite people into their, into their auditoriums. So I hope, I hope everybody watches it. It was a really wild and special thing and it came together so quickly. I mean, we, we didn't know we were doing it until like September and then like it was done on election day. Uh, so it's, it wow. was, a, it was a wild ride. That's, well, it was fantastic. I had a great time, um, watching it, watching Jefferson, watching your work. I could see, pieces of you know some of the things i've noticed in in some of your shows there but the way that you guys utilized camera to make the story clear even though there was only one actor and and the way that all the production elements came together i'm sure it's it was based off of the version that you did uh at the geffen yeah so originally yeah two christmases ago uh we 
we did this production at the Geffen and that was the first time we'd ever done it. And I would say it's like 95% the same as what it was at the Geffen, almost completely. There's like a couple of new things. Um, and we had to slightly adjust uh, the theater that we did the filming in did not have traps. So anything mm. coming out of the floor had to be rethought. So we had to kind of like rethink just how things happen. But um, I, that's pretty much what it was. Uh, so it was fun getting to, I, I love getting to revisit something because it like, it just is like the best gift and to get to do it, especially when we did it at the United Palace uh, this Christmas, I mean, the the crew we had on the show, because all of the Broadway shows were shut down, was like the most insane, like, group of people I have ever been around. I mean, it was like the head carpenter from, like, every incredible show was like, you know, wow. our, like, deck crew. And the, the best right. props person. We, I mean, like, we had our pick of, it, it was insane. It was like the most amazing tech I've ever had. And I, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, I had to remind myself this will never happen this way again, because... Um, you know, not that uh, everyone isn't great, but it was like, it was like the Olympics of, of stage crew. Um, I just have to hear and now say like our, our production team on putting this together. I mean, we teched and shot it in like two weeks, you know, it was nuts. Um, and how did you do it from a, from a production standpoint? This is obviously where my brain's going to go, Joe. Did you do piece to piece? No, we we teched the and so part part of the endeavor was to basically assemble and tech the, the show for next year, hopefully. So we teched the whole play like it was a Broadway show. I mean, just like sure. beginning to end, wow. the cameras weren't there. Our our DP was with me from the beginning, um, Maceo Bishop, who's amazing, and he like sat in rehearsal and we talked about what we wanted camera to do, and he sort of thought that, but thought about that, but we really just focused on like creating the piece of theater first. Cause it was really important that this not be like NBC live kind of made built for the camera. Like this is right, what right. you see in the show is like really, when you come to see the show, hopefully knock on wood next year, like that is what it looks like. Almost like ex- that, that's what it is. It's like, that's the show. Right. There aren't any special things we did for camera. Um, mm. um so we tech the tech to play and then uh it's a it's a real lesson in darkness in the in the theatrical experience yeah. so like really there are like moments of like complete and utter darkness where we had to like put we all put um put like blankets over our computer monitors so that we could make sure mm-hmm. that we were like we couldn't see like anything because we it was really right. important for when you come to see the show that there are moments that you're like truly afraid of what's going to happen next. So we right. went through that process and then we had spent one day. So we, we teched the whole show and we did like a, a dress rehearsal stumble through, uh, in which like we showed the camera operators what it looked like. And then we spent a day sort of relighting the show just for balances mm-hmm. for camera. Cause obviously picking right. up different things and, and adding some backlight here and there to sort of separate right. something from the background. But that was just one day. And then we filmed the next day, we filmed two performances, one starting at 9am and one in the afternoon. And that's what you see. So it's literally just, wow. we ran it twice all the way through sort of without stopping uh, and, and then assembled that. 
and you know Jefferson's so incredibly um what's the word I'm looking for he's he you know consistent he's able to consistent yeah um he's so consistent that like <laughs> you really could like you know if we needed to like if there was a weird sound bump or something you could like take a sentence and it just and it would literally fit in his mouth from the prior performance wow. that day uh, he's just uh wow. he's such an amazing performer that like I, I think with any lesser actor, we couldn't have done what we did in so short a time. So yeah, that's, that's um, two performances one day, uh, what, what you saw. So that was sort of how we did. And wow, the, wow. the cameras came in and they got in the positions. And then for the second show, they sort of moved positions a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we did it. Yeah, the, the continuity difficulty that you would have, uh, what I mean is putting one performance into another performance is impossible unless the actor's physical placement is almost exactly the same. And in stage, we're not necessarily taught to like have a perfectly consistent physical presence, but I assume yeah. with Jefferson, you were able to, to almost map them show for show. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not ever something we discussed, right. like the consistency. I think there was like, you know, in addition to this, there, there's a whole other side of this which after we filmed what you saw this christmas we spent five days shooting a proper f movie which no one has even seen yet oh. which will hopefully come out on you know netflix next year but uh, so that was like a wow. different process but is that so that, on the stage? that required more continuity it's like on the stage it's in the audience it's like under the theater cool. it's above the theater it's cool cool, cool. it's cool. also on location as well it's kind of a um more soon on that that's kind of a an exciting Real news, Joe. This is a real news podcast. Uh, yeah, you yeah, got to hear first. <laughs> but um, he, the show is sort of devised in a way that like, <laughs> it becomes really dangerous if he's like not in the in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> true, like uh, Michael Arden, Dane Laffrey fashion, who's my, <laughs> my designer. Like we call it zero tolerance because like you have to be like exactly here, one for lighting and two, because there's like, turntables and moving walls and flying pieces and it's all in the dark and if you're like not on your mark like <laughs> look out you know um <laughs> there's a lot of there, there's a lot of uh infrared cameras at, mm. at work to make sure that he's safe but and i i have to hand it to him i've only stepped on, on the stage while it's in motion a couple times and it's absolutely terrifying <laughs> like i i you know you're like it's a black stage. He's wearing black clothing. Like the floor is turning. The walls are moving fire. There's fire. There's stuff coming out of the ceiling. Like it's, it's like a uh, Indiana Jones trying to get into the, the, you know, the temple. Of Doom. temple of Doom, yeah. right? That's wild. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I, I hope we get to see it next Christmas live in theaters. And it was so cool. And it was so, it was really emotional to watch as, you know, as actors, not, you know, sitting at home, thinking about this experience in the middle of a pandemic, how I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it was kind of as amazing as it was with that crew and everybody was everybody, everybody must've just been so happy to be at work. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody was so, um, so happy to be working after having so much time off and, you know, during COVID it was like, we were all wearing face masks and spaced out and can't, you know, theaters, you, you know how it goes. You're like always got your arm around mm -hmm. each other, you know? So <laughs> this was certainly different, but it was, you know, it was also thrilling. We, we did recognize again, like I said, the fact that like 
we were working with the top people in each department and we had shorter days because of we were on a SAG contract mm. and we could only work so many hours a day, which were like so many hours less than what <laughs> yeah. we're used to doing in the theater. Like we never had a 10 out of 12 and we tech the show in shorter because wow. we, you know, every day we were like, well, we, we did our work and we're going home by 7 PM every day. You know, like wow. we started at 10 and went home by like six or seven, which was like, <laughs> I uh, you know, it was like, oh, this is actually, you know, this is humane. <laughs> right. you, you know, either, like we're like there at eight a.m. and leave at two a.m. and then we go yeah. have drinks, you know, yeah. and try to figure out how to do it. Um, but there was just an efficiency, and I think uh, uh, because everyone just was so happy to be back at work, it was really that's really awesome. Great. Well, we've so got a lot cool. to cover here. We want to talk about a lot of different things. Um, we should probably give them a little clue into some embarrassing details of Michael's career, about how comprehensive it's been. He left Juilliard in 2003 yeah. to work on the Broadway revival of Big River. Uh, he was in the original production of Bear, which was my first introduction to Michael Arden. I had that uh, album on repeat on my iTunes back in the day. Uh, he's worked, wow. he obviously was Quasimodo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame at San Diego. Which I saw at Paper Mill, which was mind That cast album is also incredible. He's worked on... Absolute Fire. Lots of television shows, a uh, couple episodes of Mrs. Maisel, Nurse Jackie, The Good Wife, Grey's Anatomy, Numbers, The Mentalist, a hundred episodes of Anger Management, which I feel like we could do a whole hour on working with Charlie Sheen. And he also is... I blacked out. I, I don't remember. <laughs> it at all. I, I was, I was out. And uh, he's also a very decorated director, as we've discussed. Uh, his, he was nominated for a Tony for the Once on This Island Broadway revival, the uh, Spring Awakening Deaf, Re Deaf West Broadway revival. He was nominated for a Tony for that as well. He directed Annie at the Hollywood Bowl, and he's working on lots of upcoming projects, including this feature film, The Book of Ruth, starring Ruth Wilson and Matt Bomer. Wow, I'm exhausted. How do you do it? <laughs> well, and and I I wanted to just jump in for a second because Dan got to mention his introduction. I remember in college, or actually, I was in high school. Benj Pasek singing "I'm Not Afraid" from Easter Rising on YouTube. I remember that being like an early YouTube obsession for me. I am not afraid to hold you. Being like, oh, Michael Arden's a writer. No, wait, Michael Arden's not a writer. Michael Michael Arden's a why is he why is he Big River? Why is he? Wait a minute, I could not. I, I remember see, hearing that song and being like, this is beautiful, and loving that song. And then, like, what? It, it's just your career has. It's impossible to follow. What are you doing? Where are? I think it's ADHD, <laughs> honestly. But I can fully relate to it. I. I've Same. never wanted to do just one thing. It just doesn't make sense. I can't just do the one thing. So is, have you always been like that? Have you, did you always have a plan to do all of these things or? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, even as a kid, when I was like a little kid, I would like build sets for plays, but then like kind of like explain to my grandparents who raised me, like what the play was about, but I wouldn't like act in it. I would just like explain like, Oh, here's the chair that the character sits in. But, you know, ah. so like looking back, I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I was like, you know, creating stories for people in a sort of like curatorial mm -hmm. way. I don't know. Um, but 
and then I loved performing and loved singing and church choir and went to Interlochen mm-hmm. Arts Academy like as a performer and ended up getting into Juilliard but I was also like for a while I was trying to be a lighting designer so I was like maybe gonna go go to school for lighting design but then I got into Juilliard I was like I have to go to Juilliard I can't like say no to that to be a lighting designer <laughs> are you crazy I don't know I guess I just I, I want to learn and know and contribute to as many facets of the of storytelling as possible especially yeah. theatrical storytelling um and it's just all sides fascinate me and i and i think i hope they feed into each other and that's the main piece of advice i have for like young artists who come and they're like how do i you know be a director or how do i be an actor and i was like well look at all the other people in the room and learn what they do mm because that will help you do your work better, not only as a communicator, but as a facilitator as well. So I don't know. And I just get a really bored and antsy really quickly. Like I can't watch TV shows because I can't, the thought of like having to come back and watch another episode of something the next day of the same show, really like, I can't do it. <laughs> totally. So, <laughs> so you have to watch the whole thing or you just don't watch it? No, all? I just usually like watch maybe the pilot and then I'm like, oh, I'm good. Wow. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I watched Game of Thrones, but, but only like, I think because my husband like chained me down to watch it, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. I like, I've got to watch weird. Like if I watch TV, it's got to be like the news or, or like uh house hunters or something where it's like a different story right. each week or like an anthology series, you know, yep. like black mirror. I'm like, Oh, it's like, on theme yeah, or something but totally. i guess it's so funny i've really been, i've been like googling like adhd because i think i might like have a problem with it but <laughs> too much information for this podcast no i i couldn't <laughs> relate to anything more and I, I about just i get bored so quickly and so i think you know that's why i think we were so enamored with your career is because we dan and i both just want to do as many things as possible and so, you know, that I, I think the jumping around, we're like, oh, yes, it's, it is possible. It is, you know, you can do it. But do you feel like when you are in this mode, when you're like, oh, I want I'm directing something now or I'm acting something now, do you just throw yourself 110% into that? That's a moment yeah. in time and then on to the next thing. And it's like 110% into these, into these moments. Is that, does that feel? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I've like become like obsessed for a while, like compulsive about the project where I, don't think about anything else. Like if I'm in tech for something, like you don't want to know me, yeah. you know what I mean? Or if I'm like working on a project, cause it's all I care about. Um, yeah. Which is, which is, which is great, but then can leave you a little like grieved when they're, when they're done, you yeah. know? So that, that's the, um, the inverse of that. I think that that's, that's its shadow. It's ugly shadow. It's the like, you know, feeling like it's like after I direct a show, I like really, I don't want to go watch it again. Because I won't be able to make changes. Uh, it's really hard for me to like mm. go back to, and not because like I don't love what the company's doing or whatever, but like with like Once in This Island, like I couldn't see it after it opened. I still wanted to like do a bunch. Of, I still wanted to change a lot of things, but I and I was like, I can only see it once a month, right? Because I just like otherwise I'll just be like, well, let's just go back in rehearsal. I mean, what else are we doing? You know, (laughs) which like the frustrated company, like it's like, oh my god, we want to kill you. Uh, But you know, (laughs) it's because then it becomes exciting to me, and I I can have taken a step away from something, and then approach it like as something that already exists and not something in process. Totally, totally. Because I actually I wondered about that because 
as someone who you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, as someone who does want to do so many different things, like directors generally don't come and see the show a lot after it opens if it's a long running hit, but like you have to keep it up. You have to see it to, to make sure that it's, you know, that opening night is, is still, you know, intact. But, you know, I, I guess, I guess that would be hard if you're like, no, I, I'm done. I'm, you're not ever done with it. I don't know. I don't want to like offend the, the, the cast that's out there, you know, but it's like, you know, you're like, yeah, no, I'm done I with mean, that now. <laughs> I mean, some people, you know, some directors like are there every day right. and, you know, I've heard stories from actor friends of mine who are like, oh my God, like we, we, after we open the directors every, every day and it just would drive me crazy. I want the company to like, be able to, to soar on their own. And, right. um, you know, and I also like, I'm fortunate enough to work with such incredible, you know, talented stage managers and associates who can make sure that like the integrity of what we were all trying to make together is maintained. But, um, yeah, I just, I can't, it's also why I won't get a tattoo. It's because I know the minute I get it, I'll be like, oh, I hate it. I got to change it. Yeah. I love it. I know. Really to thy own self be true, you know? So how did this project come about this summer, the uh, Forest of Arden Co.? What, what, what originated that idea? And can you talk a little bit about that project? Yeah. It seems really interesting. Well, um, I had started doing years ago in Los Angeles in like 2012, I think was our first piece. Um, oh, creating a company called the Forest of Arden that did site-specific immersive narrative theater um, and dance theater. Uh, and I was just really interested in how blurring the line between audience and performer and giving the audience more to do within a theatrical setting. Uh, and so when the pandemic occurred, I was like, ugh. I had uh, always been like walking around this area in upstate New York and driving around thinking, God, at these these places are so beautiful. It'd be so great to like see dance in this abandoned building or, you know, the list goes on. And I thought I saw so many people, of course, hurting economically and, you know, uh, financially, but also really feeling like, especially there at the beginning of the pandemic, when like we didn't know it was going to happen, it was like feeling really artistically stifled. And so I, started calling all my like favorite people or people who I like wanted to work with for a while dancers who I obsessed with, but had never been able to hire Yeah, because I like, there wasn't a track for their particular talent. So I like mm -hmm. called a bunch of people that either I had worked with before, or I had been a fans of. And I said, Hey, do you want to like make a piece of crazy immersive outdoor theater while uh, experimenting with, ways technology could keep audiences distanced and safe and and how we might how you can we could work as a sort of democratic company in a very non-democratic field at times so um we raised money on kickstarter which is like my favorite pastime um <laughs> to do this and we all quarantined together and uh, tested quarantined together we started meeting on zoom a couple months prior and then we really like developed the show, devised the show in person. Like we didn't have anything when we started and we had filmmakers and composers and stage managers and dancers and actors and singers and choreographers. And we uh, made this like three city project that happened over the course of one weekend where we like had guinea pig audiences that were instructed via their phones where to go and could hear uh, a sort of like 
soundscape and videoscape directly in their headphones that then like linked up perfectly with what they were seeing. So they could see like a lip sync from like 200 feet away that, you know, things like that. So we, we explored with FM technology and uh, as well as, as that technology I was talking about. And it was wild. It's like the greatest time I've ever had. I, I can't, it was like summer camp yet. We really made something cool and um, developed like a way of working together as a company that felt really democratic in which like every single person mattered equally. No decision was made without the entire company's voting on it. Like even like we had to cancel a show because like we lost a location and then we had to like uninvite people who were going to see it. And as opposed to, you know, usually like one person does that and then informs the company what, but no, we sat as a group and like decided together what we were going to do, what we wanted the play to be about, what, we wanted to see it, how we wanted to use our funds, that kind of stuff. And it was like so liberating. It was very, very Russian of us. <laughs> I was going to say it was very, very Mary Overly, yeah. very yeah. Tina Landau and Anne yeah. Bogart of you to have that kind of horizontal yeah. system as opposed to like this kind of top down vertical system that we well, have. It just, I mean, the best ideas come that way. I mean, I always feel right. Oh, you always find when you like, you know, and it's a good reminder to me. It's like, it can be very alluring to like hear like the word director and be like, Oh, I'm in charge, but no, not really. You're just like <laughs> there to like keep the walls up. <laughs> you said facilitator earlier. I really liked that perspective. Traffic cop. I also go by traffic cop. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. I help people like stay in, make sure they can find their light. That's, that's really yeah, all I Not do. get hit by things. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> safety cap. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We would love to uh, keep going and keep pushing through, and we would love to do a deep dive into one of your projects. I could help you choose, <laughs> but you can choose whatever you want to talk about. It can be directing or acting. Oh, whatever. I think you should choose. I well, I, I, what do you? Uh, well, Dan, let's. I kind of want to do all of them. You know, let's what do I'm all say. of them and just start at the beginning. <laughs> no, uh, I know what Dan's going to choose, but I, I wonder because the the hunchback process as an actor maybe we could do one as an actor and one as a director um that Great. the hunchback process seeing it at paper mill i loved it i thought it was it was so dark and i mean you're was it man of stone the big the big act one uh, made, made, made of stone, stone. like st chills on, still i just um i'd love to talk about that one because that was that one of the last was that one of the last musicals you did as an actor uh, I think it might've been. Yeah. Because I was, I had directed spring awakening in LA and then did the out of town at La Jolla of, of hunchback, like back to back. Like I had to miss the first few days of rehearsal to open spring awakening. Wow. And then, was, wow. so, so I was sort of doing those shows simultaneously as well as shooting anger management. And that, so I was like, <laughs> So, so my friend and the understudy on that job, uh, Julian, had to like had to like do like 
a show a week. So, so I could like, I was very Elaine Stritch. I would like, yes, I would see the show. I would see like the Sunday night of, I would like see the Sunday night show of Spring Awakening and take notes and then shoot like anger management Monday and Tuesday and then drive down to La Jolla and do the hunchback and then drive back up after the Sunday matinee to see the evening show of Spring Awakening and then do, do the shooting. It was crazy. But yeah, I think that was the last musical I, I did. Um, that, that, long-winded way. That, yes, that, that, that feels like a, was that a dream during that time? Or was that, was that like the was dream horrible, or was yeah. that like, I mean, I bet you didn't sleep for about. No, I was exhausted. I mean, like it was a time in my life and then, and then going to paper mill and doing it, like the hunchback was such a demanding physical and emotional vocal yeah, I, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but it was like I've never felt more alive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Me on on the on the just like the like the five freeway, like chugging coffee, like trying to keep you know while on the phone, like trying to figure out how we could like move Spring Awakening forward. Um, trying to spin the plates, yeah. just plate spinning. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But it was it was really. I mean, I was in the room with like the, I love Scott Schwartz and I love I'm mean, you know Stephen Schwartz and Alan Menken and chase brock and people who i've known for a long time and was getting to work with and uh michael causerin and it's just like incredible you know titans of this industry so it was like i got to it was so nice to like to just show up and just like be an actor and i really you know i really just took a i wanted to like kind of disappear into that role yeah um i think because i had so much other stuff in my head at the time I, I just like really was like a lot of actors tend to want to like question a lot of things and like well what if I did this or what if I said this or you know and I was like I am I'm not gonna like say a word that isn't a line that's written for me in this process and I had a great time you know that's really interesting because I'm sure there would be a pressure I always assume that there would be a pressure on somebody like you who has such a understanding of all of stagecraft that when you become the lead actor in a company that you're then going to contribute kind of all of your brain. So it would be interesting to step back from yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Spring Awakening has just opened in LA, but like no one like knew I was a, I was a director at mm. that point. Like, besides me. <laughs> in fact, Stephen Schwartz right. gave me a mug that said what I really want to do is direct as, <laughs> as like a gag gift for a rehearsal. Because he was like, I know you really want to direct. But also, you know, I, I have my point of view and Scott had his point of view and it was so nice to live in someone else's, you know, it's like, mm. it's like when I have acted since like working on King Lear with Sam Gold, like, I mean, what did I, you know, I just want to like show up and yeah. do my job as an actor. And I think like that it isn't my, it isn't my place to try to like put my, put my spin on something. My job is to like, listen and respond as a character that's it that's that's really that's a really awesome point of view truly because giving over the permission to not have control is probably the hardest thing to do when you're only in a position where you don't have control but like surrendering that idea when you are used to sometimes having control and then sometimes not and kind of understanding that balance is something I hadn't really thought about. It's really freeing to be able to do that. I mean, you know, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I like love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> being an actor, uh, but, right. but it is really like, Oh, 
I can, you know, in the times that I've been active, it's like, oh, I, I don't have to stay for the production meeting. This is amazing. I can't believe I'm like, I, I'm done. And I get to bow and people clap for me, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's cool. And, you know, actors have such incredible respect for actors, probably because I do it sometimes, but just the hardest thing to do as an actor is to, like, not see yourself from the front. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you actually have to kind of be like ignorant to so much. You have to know so much. But then when you step on stage, you have to be ignorant to everything that you don't know, which is so much more than you do as a character. So it's, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's a real adjustment. And so, and, um, nice to get to be able to be reminded of that because like, it's not easy to do that. It's it's also scary. Like I have stage fright, you know, sometimes. So like, of like course. you know, it's like, oh yeah, actors are like doing a lot. It's, it's cool. How do you feel like, like one contributes to the other? Do you feel because are there like the, all of the different hats that you wear, is there a way that acting feeds directing feeds writing feeds and then kind of, I mean, I, you know, they all, it, as an actor, being a director, I think is helpful in like knowing when to shut up, <laughs> um, you know, or just like being like, Oh, actually like, I don't have to worry so much, mm. you know, I, like it's so easy when you're on stage and like everyone's looking at me that you need to like somehow provide the play to the audience. And like, you really don't have to do that at all. All you have to do is like say your lines and mean them and stand in your light, you know, but it also, but then again, it like helps me as I, that I sort of like, you know have a sense for staging so like you know yeah. I, you know you see it, it, some of the best actors have like no sense of like where to how to physically relate to some to, to someone on stage you know what i mean so and i sort of get the like balance and of, of stage picture and stuff which i guess kind of might be helpful or annoying for a director who like isn't into that <laughs> um so you know but i think just understanding that that um you're not like a, alone is really helpful. You're not like you, the responsibility doesn't all have to fall on you as the actor to like give the play to an audience. Cut to, I mean, Jefferson Mays, you know, whatever. <laughs> he, he, he does it. But, um, uh, and then as a director, like just knowing how to communicate to actors, because I've certainly as an actor been communicated to by a director in incredibly unhelpful ways. Um, so, or disrespectful yeah. ways. So, Right. That's really helpful in terms of, you know, you don't want to say like, can you like, you just got to make me cry here. Like, you know what I mean? Like that has been said yeah. to me as an actor and I'm like, that's super unhelpful. Uh, so, so it, it helps that, that sort of, you know, articulation is, is helpful. I, I was so profoundly moved by your contributions to my favorite childhood my my most influential musical in my young adult life was spring awakening and to see your spin on that story aside from the fact that that there was a whole new take on it because of the capabilities of the actors or lack thereof depending on how you want, would want to frame that what was your what what were you what was your approach to that process to kind of take it take a different look at it from the way it was done originally 
Well, I, like you, was like an enormous fan of the show. I saw the first preview at The Atlantic. Wow. I was a huge fan of Duncan way before. Like Mm -hmm. his Phantom Moon album was like literally in college, played it out. So when I heard Spring Awakening was happening, I was like already, I was like the built-in audience for that show. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I, I was doing a show on Broadway at the time that transferred to broad the original production was on Broadway. And I think I might've seen spring awakening like 12 times, like, and then I saw the tour and ended up marrying someone from the tour. I mean, it like, <laughs> like followed me around, you know? Um, but I remember hanging out with Andy Mantis, my now husband. Um, what a weird term now husband. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, <laughs> He was doing Spring Awakening at the Amundsen and I was doing Deaf West Pippin at the Taper. And we were like sharing rehearsal space and uh, doing right there. And we started talking then. We were we were friends for a long time before we were a couple and talking about how it would be really interesting to look at Spring Awakening through that lens of communication when actually and and taking a look at like what was happening in deaf culture at the time in Europe and looking, giving like these kind of hormone enraged kids more than that, like a a bigger problem to deal with, you know, like it's, it's like not just in angsty kids. It like gives it context. It gives them like the, the deafness. And I think what we, what we uncovered with our work on spring awakening gave them like, a reason to mm. a reason to sing and and also i just like mm-hmm. having worked with on two shows prior with the deaf community and with deaf west i really wanted to one uh, uplift these performers um who might not have a chance to be by like making them rock stars in a way that they like really like don't get the opportunities they should um you know uh like even if like a, a deaf character is deaf in a play, it's like always like, you know, it's, it, they're never like moving lights focused on them. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, you know, this, it was a real opportunity to like really make these performers rock stars um, and tell a story about deafness. And the, the work I had done prior was sort of using deaf performers and hearing performers together in, in, in a world in which like, deafness may or may not have existed and i like really wanted to like dig into dig into the stories and and horrible you know history of deaf culture and what was happening in education at the time so um it kind of like Mm. when i started on the process it like i certainly didn't know like Oh, this is going to be about the Milan conference when deaf students use forced oralism and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and it just sort of like with enough Googling and talking to people and, you know, whiskey and it it sort of evolved into what it became. Um, I think that's really interesting. You, because that's, that's what I hadn't really put to words is exactly what you're saying. You basically found a way to dramatize angst so that the angst had something to be 
anchored to, as opposed to just being a feeling of general frustration, yeah. which you kind of noticed in the first one, it was like tied to this like inability to communicate, which is I, super genius. I, I think like if, if you're looking objectively at, at the, the, the story, like it's very easy, you know, to be like, Oh, these are just a bunch of like horny kids. Like, like get over it or yeah. wait a couple of years as opposed right. to like giving it like a real, real, worldly conflict that was yeah. that was right. you know yeah. giving them something to to bash their heads about um i think helped with audiences who weren't necessarily teenager angsty teenagers who like if you're yeah. an angsty teenager yeah. going to see spring waking you're like yeah i totally get it yeah. <laughs> everybody you know and then but if you're like 45 you're like yeah no i get it but like i paid 150 bucks for this seat right. um what is it about <laughs> you know um which i think is yeah. uh you know what's so great about how that show is constructed is that it can like withstand new lenses. Um, and that's a testament yeah. to, you know, Michael Mayer and Duncan and right. Steven. I must know why they went into the green pastures. I will never forget that moment where they walk up stage at the end. What is the, what, where's the, that conception come from? It just was like an image I had in my mind of like, I knew that like the kids at the end like had to leave and that the adults could not. It was like too late for them. I knew that they had to like this. And in the design, like we always wanted to feel like a very kind of like constructed, almost claustrophobic space. Um, so that then they could leave on to like, hope for the future and, and greater understanding. Um, yeah. So that, that was sort of where that came from. And it was just an image I had in my mind of like the, the these adults being left alone mm -hmm. because their lives had passed them by. It was too late for them. Very sad. Very sad, but very, sad. but, but optimistic. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, yeah, it, totally, it's about the totally. future. So it always, I mean, it was different in each production. In our first LA production, we like, yeah, it was very different in each one, how they, how they exited. Um, but always with the same kind of intent that like something magical like occurred and they were able to finally get out of this space that had no like exits before. Amazing. And they had something to do with, you know, growing up. Yeah. Well, that, Free will. Yeah, well, that was one of those things that, um, uh, that I just for to be honest the the song of song of purple summer like when I was 16 and angsty and I saw that I saw it for the first time and I saw them pull the microphones out of the jackets and and their inner thought is a rock song and so I was like whoa I totally get it and you know yeah fuck everybody but the end I I didn't get the ending at, at when well, I when I was when I was you yeah. know when I was in that space to I think the end I mean the song of purple summer god I can't say it, but like, you know, it, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful poetry, but, but I think it's a bit of, it's a bit obtuse. It's a bit hard to be like, okay, what does this actually mean? And I really treated it like a, an epilogue. Like right. the play was over. This is our like benediction to the audience. Right. Um, that's why like in my production, I had them like take off their costumes again. And so we are all like, we're sort of now able to like speak to the audience and, as as 25 year olds playing children you, you know it's it, it became a bit a bit of a different a different um thing but i wanted to 
to give it a bit of a give some story and, and leave us with that final image of like, ah, remember that moment? Remember when like we could just go out into the world sort of knowing nothing and we'd be able to stumble and find it on our own. Um, and our parents like had to let go. Hmm. Sort of that's what I wanted to achieve yeah. there. It's like the hope, the hope of that, the hope of like moving towards some sort of greater understanding and how we treat each other better and treat ourselves better. And I think what was, what was so moving about it was that I can't remember for this, in this moment, what I took away from it, but it was one of those things that happens where it leaves you with just as many questions as it does answers. So it, it, it gives you this talking, this reason to communicate with somebody after the show kind of what, what, what was that? What did you think that was? Which I think is part which of... Is, which is why we wanted you have, to have you on the podcast. So I could get an answer. Later. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, they're all going to... They're going to Disneyland, honestly. It's, uh, they're about to take the... I thought it was something like they're all in yeah. purgatory and then, you know, one of those... Yeah, I mean, it's like this... this the, the sort of gray space represented like being trapped in, in a world in which like your freedoms, your educational system, your spiritual beliefs, your sexual prowess is all determined by a construct created and passed down through parents who had it created and passed down to them. So you are in a way imprisoned by this. And that was this, you know, I wanted to represent enlightenment and being able to like move past that. So at some point we stop this reciprocal Mm -hmm reciprocal and circular like nightmare of shame. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I guess. Isn't it? That's one way to think about it. I mean, <laughs> Disneyland is also. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we'll, we'll thank you. First of all, we're, we're coming to the end. Thank you for spending your, your morning with us. This is, we, again, if you haven't got the, gotten that we're fans and of yours, yeah. uh, yet, I, you know, now you know. uh, but we, we, we have a, we have a couple questions that we just, we end, uh, with, you mentioned it earlier, but is there any other advice that you've had for someone starting out? Just learn as much as you can. I mean, you know, ask people if you can watch what they do. If you can sit in the back row, I wouldn't be where I am if I had not shadowed producers, assisted directors, interned with lighting designers, uh, spent an hour in a costume shop learning about how a costumer Mm -hmm. works. You know, I think it's like, uh, it's very easy to become like laser specific, which is what we're, we're always taught like focus, 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 but actually, you know, you need to know, you know, a laser only looks focused because of the space around it. So I think you have to like, become as well rounded at, uh, of an artist in your field as you can. And also even outside of art, like totally go like, you know, have an affair. I don't know. <laughs> Learn something. <about. laughs> Crash and burn the personal life yes. is a great way to find some artistic depth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And my other advice is to like, is to just like, it's going to suck more than it's going to be good. Mm. So like enjoy that and know that that is part of learning which is what I'm trying to remind myself. Yeah. Today. I think, I think I, I needed to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Cause most days suck, you know, and then the, there's the good ones are really good, but. Yeah. And mistakes and, and falling down is like really helpful as Lynn Aaron's wrote the failures and the foolishness lead us to the truth. It's like, 
Yeah, you learn so much more out of a flop or a failure than you do out of a success. Totally. Find a way to like and find grace in that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my advice. Yeah, totally. But I'm still trying. I heard to somebody myself. saying recently, you got to run towards what's hard. It's yeah. the same kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. It's great. Yeah. And then, and then our last question that we, uh, we ask is, uh, and this is why I'm really interested to hear what you, what you have on this, but I, we call it our unreachable star question. What is just like, what is way in the horizon, something you're pointed to something that you, that you're, you're headed towards that you'd like to achieve now with everything that you've done. I mean, it's just, you know, you can't say that, Oh, I want to be a director. Oh, I want, you know, I want to, you know, um, I want to create a like national theater for the U S that is like a, a company in the sort of like dance tier of Wuppertal, you know, style um, is constantly creating new work. You know, it's like, it's what I wish Lincoln center could and would be, it's, you know, yeah. a true rep company that focuses on inclusive work and, um, and that, that brings, accessible work to the entire country that isn't, doesn't cost, isn't cost prohibitive. Mm. You know, that's, that's it. I feel like the Kennedy center could do something like that too. Right. Isn't that kind of like what you would, you would think and hope, you know, we can only hope for the future Yeah, that that people understand that and that, that our lawmakers and, you know, and ultimately population who votes them into power understand that there is no nation without culture. Couldn't agree more. Well, I hope that that's happens. Wonderful. That's me too. Me too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's that what I'm sounds do. great. Uh, that's I, I could not. I will start I the Kickstarter it. as soon as we sign off. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, right. let's just back to Kickstarter. Why not? If, you if, know, hey. if there's gridlock in Congress, we'll just we'll just go back to Kickstarter. Keep putting Broadway stars in movies, and maybe it'll happen. Um, <laughs> how can people find uh, you? And uh, what what can we what can we look forward to? Uh, <laughs> you can see what our company is up to on the forest of um and we have some something really exciting that's coming with our company that should be announced hopefully Amazing. soon so stay tuned for that yes. um and i yeah i don't really do much social media besides instagram uh so you can follow me at michael arden or follow forest of arden co and uh begin to go down the rabbit hole of that incredible group of 40 or so artists that have assembled trying to trying to look for that unreachable star together oh, I love awesome it. oh amazing michael thank you so so much wow we got some t-shirts to make we got some t-shirts <laughs> and some posters to make to i got some journaling to thank do you. is i think where i'm at yeah. <laughs> jeez <laughs> thanks for having me guys Thank you for listening to Guys Who Like Musicals. We are now part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Woo! We are hosted by Dan Tracy. That's you. And Joe Carroll. That's me. We're produced by Ryan Kincaid, and Matthew Mucha is the social content manager. You can find us on Instagram at Guys Who Like Musicals, on Twitter at Musical Guys, or the old-fashioned way at www.guyswholikemusicals.com. If you'd like a chance to be featured on the Ask the Guys segment of our show, please call 203-900-7990 and leave a message with your question. As always, thanks for listening.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening?